0: Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for gathering us as your people today. Uh, We thank you for a fun weekend here in town and we thank you for all the ways um, that you have blessed us in our lives. We pray, Lord, today that you would speak to us uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit that you poured out on us at Pentecost. And we pray, Lord, um, that you would lead us and guide us uh, into a marvelous reality and future that you have for us as your people. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. For all of those, those of you that walked in the parade yesterday, thanks for being here. For all of you that looked at the parade and sat in the heat all day, thanks for being here. It was a fun day. We had a float with lots of bubbles, and we ran out of candy. So we at least had bubbles. And it was fun. It was fun. I think it was fun. I think we want to do this a little more regularly in the future uh, and have a presence as a church in the Scandinavian Days Parade. So that was fun, and I've got a little sunburn, but that's Okay. Uh, Last week, we celebrated Pentecost. Uh, We celebrated the time that we read about in the book of Acts when God poured out the Holy Spirit on his people, and this was a new experience for the church because not only now were they uh, able to know about the gospel, the good news, the promises of God, now they were able to experience the power and the presence of God in their lives, and we benefit from that today as well the reality of pentecost including all the good supernatural things that we see happening are still active and part of God's people and his church today and we celebrate that and we want to be open to that and lean into that as God's people and i talked about last week how we've turned a corner from uh, the resurrected life talking about more personal relationship with god characteristics that we're living into the resurrection And now we're turning into a more corporate and communal conversation about how we as a community of believers live as the resurrected church. So our topics from here and out are going to be more about how God calls us to relate with each other in the body of Christ and support each other, how we collectively strive towards unity in Jesus Christ as we carry out this mission that God has given us to do. And speaking of mission, we're talking about two things today. We're talking about two things, and... We are acknowledging in this conversation that Jesus Christ gathers his people, his church, for a purpose. We are not here to be part of a social club, although a lot of good social things happen at the church. We're not here because we're bored and we just needed something to do. We're not here for the great coffee. We are here because we are called by Jesus Christ to be the body of Christ. We are here because we are saved by Jesus Christ on the cross, and we have experienced that grace and that forgiveness. We are here because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit in this reality of the resurrection, and we get to live into an abundant life that we'll talk about here a little bit later that is only made possible through Jesus Christ. This resurrection, this life that we experience in the resurrection is a life that we don't have to start wait, waiting. We don't have to wait till we're dead to live, right? This isn't something that is some far off day after we pass away from this earth, although we will experience the resurrection then. But the life that comes through Jesus' resurrection is a life that begins now in any moment. And we want to lean into this. If it's real for Jesus, and he's our Lord and Savior, and he's the head of the church, it's real for us. And Jesus is very much resurrected. So today, we're going to talk about the mission that all Christians share in. And then we're going to talk about seeking and discerning a God-given vision that will draw us forward into Jesus' abundant life for us. So the Matthew scripture that you just heard was the Great Commission from Matthew 28. And we preach on this frequently because in it is the imperative, the command, the charge given to the body of Christ to go and do something with this good news and this gospel that we have received. And so I'm going to read that for you again. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what Jesus says here in the scriptures about mission and calling is actually pretty clear. It's pretty clear. There's not a whole lot that we need to discern and figure out when it comes to broadly what the mission of God's people is here on this earth. The scriptures tell us that those there worshiping Jesus, a lot of them worship, but some had doubts. I would say that is an accurate representation of the church today, too. Sometimes we have doubts. Sometimes we have stumbling blocks or things that we just don't quite understand and that we want to take those things to the Lord so that we can understand them. So, out of this group, including the people that have the doubts, Jesus tells them that all authority has been given to him. Now, this is the authority to heal, to forgive sins, it is the authority to save, to do supernatural things, and even to hold the keys of heaven himself. What Jesus is telling us here is that his work on earth as God is done. But he's also telling us that he is equal to God. He is reinforcing what he has told us over and over in the Gospels, that he and the Father are one. And so all of the authority that he operated in, in earth, and all of the authority that he demonstrated, even over death in the resurrection, this is the authority which he is now going to command them out of. It is in this authority, it is flowing from this authority, he tells his disciples what? Go. He tells them to Go. He doesn't tell them to stay there, to hide it under a bushel. He tells them to go, to do something with this gospel, this good news. Go, therefore, and do what? He says, make disciples of all nations. So how does someone become a disciple? We've been talking on our Wednesday study. Thematically, the Wednesday night study has lined up really well with these first couple weeks of this series. And at this Wednesday study, we talked about the difference between a rabbi-disciple relationship and a teacher-student relationship. Uh, Teachers and students in our culture, typically there's this download of information from one person to the other, and there's not always a practical part of it. There's not always some sort of lab, right, that you get in some classes, but mainly we think of it as information transfer, and we think of students, we want them to know the stuff, right, and to be able to answer the right questions on a test and earn a degree. That's how we think about it. With a rabbi and a disciple relationship, it was very different. Yes, there was information transfer, but those disciples were meant to become the rabbi. They were meant to be like the rabbi, to live like, talk like, work like, eat like. Everything about them was to emulate and take on the same qualities that the rabbi lived with. It was experiential. It was action-oriented. And so making disciples of all nations means that these disciples are actually going to go be rabbis, in a sense. They're going to be emulating and and being Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, to all the nations. How does someone become a disciple? Well, by grace through faith. By grace through faith in Jesus Christ, they receive the forgiveness of the cross, the reality that Jesus very much is alive, and that gives us hope. And a disciple answers the call to live for Jesus and not for the world. So again, it's not an information transfer alone. It is something that changes every part of your life. So in this call to make disciples, Jesus' followers are called to proclaim the good news, the gospel, and to help people understand God's great goodness and mercy so that those people hearing may also be led to repent from their sins and come to faith in Jesus Christ. And this is a replication process that is to happen over and over and over. Uh, One of the phrases that we use uh, amongst pastors and in our organization in LCMC is we want to make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Like we want this to be a generational and very practical multiplication of faith in Jesus Christ. Because if we are making disciples, the disciples are doing what Jesus did, which means they're proclaiming the good news. They're living differently. And then Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now you know why baptism is so important in the Christian church, right? Because Jesus said that it was going to be important. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here, have this sacrament to give you a physical representation of the spiritual reality of knowing Jesus Christ. So just as Jesus and his disciples experienced that baptism, he modeled it for us, Those in the early church who were coming to faith in Jesus and received that gospel, they were also baptized. And so we, too, today, we still practice that. And then here's the part of the Great Commission that we don't talk about too much because we don't like it, hypothetically. Teaching them to obey. How many of you love to obey? How many of you are rule followers? There's a few of you. Yep. So Yeah, I see some hands. That's great. How many of you are not rule followers? You kind of want to blaze your own path. The the rules are meant to be broken, right? Well, Jesus, part of this call and this Great Commission is actually to teach those coming to faith to obey everything that Jesus commanded, everything that Jesus taught. Now, that's, that's a tough charge, right? That makes us uncomfortable. That means our lives are going to change, but that's kind of the point. If we call ourselves Christians or followers of Jesus... How important is it that we obey the teachings of Jesus? How important was it for Jesus' 12 disciples to obey and follow through and take action on the teachings of their rabbi? Very important, right? How important is it that we recognize that all authority in heaven and on earth was given to Jesus and then he commands us in that authority? And if we recognize that life of Jesus Christ and we recognize the resurrection and the authority that he lives with, and we recognize that the Holy Spirit, which means the authority of Jesus, works in us and through us as well, how come it seems like we downplay the need to know Jesus' teachings and to know about his life? Friends, following Jesus, following him, following his teaching, is a mark of being a follower of Jesus of Jesus. And I think this is one of those reasons that many people in our world are so confused and they have a misunderstanding of Christianity. Because we preach the good news and this incredible spirit-filled gospel, and often our lives don't look any different than those in the world. Because either we don't know his commands, or because we know them and we don't obey them. Jesus didn't tell anyone, go and be a good person so you can go to heaven. Jesus didn't preach that. That's a lie. That's a lie that our culture believes. That's a lie that many in the church believe. We can't be good people without Jesus Christ or else he died for nothing. We can't be good people without forgiveness of our sin. Our sin prevents us to be seen as good. We need to know the one who built that bridge between us and God and restored a relationship and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus himself shows us what is good. He shows us what a good person looks like, and he teaches us how to walk in the same path. He shows us what is good and pleasing to God through his own life, through his ministry, through his teaching, and yes, even his sacrifice and his death on the cross. Friends, the Great Commission is lived out from a place of humility and surrender to the Lord. That's where we start. So, are you a Christian? Great. Now get to know Jesus and his teachings better. Learn what he teaches you so that you may follow him and obey. Don't avoid Jesus. Don't avoid the scriptures so that you can claim ignorance. That's no way to live. But dig in and soak up God's great love for you in Jesus Christ. You will not be sorry that you do that. And so this mission is for all of Christianity, right? It's not just for us here at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Story City, Iowa. It's for everybody, all Christians, according to this biblical worldview. It's that we proclaim the good news of Jesus to grow the church. Because this is a message that is meant for all of humanity, and Jesus has entrusted us as the primary vehicle with which to deliver it to all of humanity. And in doing this, we preach and we recognize that Jesus is always with us, as he promised, even to the very end of the age, hence the Holy Spirit. So Emmanuel's mission to grow deep relationships in Jesus Christ and to make Christ known to all, we are essentially rephrasing the Great Commission. And we embrace that this morning. And we embrace that moving forward. Now I want to talk about a vision, and a vision is different than a mission. A mission is that reason why you exist, and a vision is what is compelling you forward into the future, right? A vision paints a picture of what will be one day when the mission is carried out and fulfilled. So our John scripture this morning, Jesus gives his people a vision of something, and it's easy to maybe read over this or, or, or gloss through it, uh, but this is really important for us to get, and It says, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, Jesus says. So Jesus is making a contrast. Here's what the thief does or those operating apart from God, or those operating under the influence of evil, or Satan, or the demonic. That's what these people are going to do. That's what the evil one wants them to do. Steal, kill, and destroy. And he contrasts that by what he came to do. And he says that he is the shepherd. This is what the thief does. This is what the shepherd does. And he's the good shepherd, he says a little later in verse 14. And he goes on to say the good shepherd, Jesus says, is the gate, is the gate. Now the book of John, the gospel of John has a lot of I am statements, right? And typically it's I am the, here he is saying I am the gate, just like in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the gate, he's not one of many gates, he's not an open walkway that any may pass through, but the gate is who Jesus is, and entering through Jesus, through this gate, is what brings about salvation, he teaches. And in verse 10, Jesus reiterates again, here's what this thief does, steal, kill, and destroy. Now, we live in a world that has a lot of those things, right? We live in a world that has a lot of the consequences and the active work of stealing, killing, and destroying. We see it on the news, but we also see it in our own lives. We see our hopes and dreams, Stolen by false hopes, false promises, promises for happiness that really can't fulfill the deepest desires of our heart because God created us with something that He could only fill. We see lives stolen away by living godlessly or secularism or the temptation to just live for yourself with you as the higher end goal and not anybody else or the work of the Lord. And we see a lot of killing, we see a lot of death, we see a lot of destruction. Because when we don't know God, we don't know what God values. And God is the creator and the author of life, the scriptures tell us. And Jesus didn't come to do those things. He didn't come to steal, kill, and destroy. He didn't come to operate like the rulers and the principalities of the world were operating. Why did he come? To bring abundant life. Other translations say, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. If any of you happen to be campers at Riverside Lutheran Bible Camp in 2002, that was the theme verse that summer. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. This is what Jesus comes to counter the world with. And we find that in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. There's no other gateway for us to experience abundant life. So this is the vision, this is the picture that Jesus is painting for his people to pull them forward into his grace and goodness and mercy. It's not a negative thing that he's prodding behind. We've talked about that before. It is something enticing that you want to go after and chase. This is the vision that Jesus brings to those who would receive him then and today because the same abundant life he promised to his disciples is available to us. Now our Daniel scripture too talks about a vision, an actual vision that Daniel, Daniel receives. And I want to go over this too. Uh, He says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, sound familiar? Glory and sovereign power. All nations, sound familiar? And peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Daniel here sets this glorious and blessed vision from God. He experiences this in his time in Babylon when God's people were exiled in the Babylonian Empire. And this is a vision that helps ground him in God's promises as we too can be grounded in it today. This is a vision that gives a picture of what Jesus speaks of in his life and what compels us into the Great Commission. And he gives us a picture very consistent with what Revelation, what John experiences later in the, in the later pages of the New Testament. It's the same vision. It is a picture of what's going to happen in the future when this vision is fully realized. It is a vision worth beholding and embracing. It's a vision of abundant life, life to the full. And the church and the people who live out this vision, this mission into this vision, are going to experience being part of the ultimate vision one day of every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping the Lord of hosts and being part of a holy and a healed kingdom of God that's never going to pass away, it's eternal. So I like that. We not only are encouraged to live abundantly in Jesus Christ, we also get to know the end game. We get to know what the culmination of that is going to be, and when we know Jesus, we get to be part of that at the end too. What a what an incredible hope that we have. So here we have a mission and we have a vision, right? And and to make it a little more Emmanuel contextual here, um, our council has been working on vision casting. We've talked about this for years. And things have kind of come together in good timing uh, because we have our 125th celebration this fall. And so if you were watching closely in the parade yesterday, if you saw the Emanuel float go by, you, if you're any mar- are there any marketing or branding people in the room? You, you might have looked at our logo on there and said, wait, that's wrong. That's not the Emmanuel logo. Well, it's because we changed it a little bit for the 125th. So Dean, there's your cue, Dean. You can put that up on the screen. There we go. Okay. So Jesus wants us to have abundant life. It's right there in John 10. And he wants us to thrive. He wants us to thrive. Now, thrive doesn't necessarily prescribe the tools that we're going to use to get there. But I think according to the scriptures, thrive is absolutely what we're going to experience in Jesus Christ and what we're going to experience at the end of time. This is the vision that draws us forward. Uh, And it doesn't, again, prescribe what to do on the journey. That work's going to come. That work's going to come. But it paints a picture of what Jesus proclaims in John 10 and what Daniel beholds in the end of days. That we would be a thriving people. Picture your life. What would it look like if your life was thriving right now? We would be a thriving people. And as we are thriving people, as we become thriving people more fully than we are today, guess what? We are going to be a more thriving people. Church, a congregation. The healthier each of us is in our own lives and our own growth and our own discipleship, the healthier the church is going to be by extension of that. And as we live this community, this church community out, um, what we do here in this community will help influence our community outside of the walls, right? And even to the ends of the earth. So, thriving people will lead to a thriving church and congregation will lead to a more thriving community as we take this good news and this gospel out. And so we're going to dig into that more this summer and stuff, but I wanted you to know that like this is who we want to be. This is who we feel God is calling us to be as Emmanuel Lutheran Church. It's a people who are thriving, a place where people can come to learn how to thrive in Jesus Christ, to experience his grace, his goodness, his mercy, and so that their lives don't just have to settle. How many times do we say, I just want to get through today, I just want to get by, I just want to get to the end of it? No, what if God calls us to thrive today and tomorrow and the next day? Ten years from now, we don't want to be like, yes, we didn't close like those other churches did. Like, that's not our end goal. Our goal is to ten years from now be thriving, to be abundant, whether numerically we grow or not. I think God's truth here can grow, God's mission here can grow, and the work that we do can grow so that we thrive. Now, if we're thriving, we're living out our mission. If we're living out our mission, we're going to thrive. Because they're hand in hand. And they both originate from Jesus' teachings, his commands. And I encourage us to obey and to follow those. So, you can take that down now, Dean. Thanks. So our mission and our vision, I think, requires a sense of urgency. And when I say urgency, I don't mean haste. And I don't mean reaction, I mean an urgency, like an intentionality. I don't know if you've noticed, our culture isn't getting any more Christian. The, the influence that the church has had over the last couple hundred years is waning, at least on a mainstream level. The kingdom of God is not waning, but our influence or reception in culture is. Our community here that we live in is not becoming more engaged with the church, it's going the other way. Um, just 20 years ago, Emmanuel averaged three to 400 people a Sunday at worship. Today, we're less than half of that. Uh, the community as a whole—maybe 10 to 12 percent of people in the Roland Story School District—are in church on a Sunday morning. 10 to 12 percent, and that's different. That's different than what you probably remember if you grew up around here. It's different. So, do you get the urgency here? Right? You get the urgency. If the church does not follow through on the mission, That doesn't mean that people are any less hungry for truth. It just means they're going to find it somewhere else. And when I say the church, I don't just mean Emmanuel. It's just up to us. But people aren't any less interested in spirituality. They're not any less interested with finding their purpose and living a thriving life. It just means that they're going to turn to the world for those things if we're not carrying out the mission that God gave us to live. And I don't know about you, but that breaks my heart. Like, there is a better way. And if the church doesn't follow through on its mission and follow the lead of Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that the enemy is going to hang up his coat and stop leading people astray. Satan's not going to stop. This battle over the world and the souls of humanity isn't any less in the balance if we decide we're not going to follow Jesus. And let's remember that the Bible teaches us there are eternal implications to whether we know Jesus or not. There's eternal implications on where we put our faith and our trust. And so I think we we need to embrace this mission. And we need to run towards this vision as if Jesus himself is calling us. Because guess what? These are Jesus' words. He is. He is calling us to go and make disciples of all nations. To know what he commands and obey it. To baptize. He's calling us into abundant life. He's calling us to thrive. Our mission is to be the church, the people of God united in the cross, unified by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our mission is to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We are the primary vehicle in this world to carry the gospel and the grace of God. Our mission is to proclaim the good news to the ends of the earth and here in our neighborhoods and in our community Our mission is to care for the widows and the orphans as the scriptures instruct and those that society casts off and is done with. Our mission is to grow deep relationships in Jesus Christ, not superficial ones, not trivial ones, not surface ones, but deep. And to make him known to all in all that we do. And then our vision as we do these things is to experience abundant life, to thrive as we live for God, for what God has called us to live for and experience his unending love and grace every moment of our lives. So, picture what your life, what your family, what this church, what this community could look like if it's thriving, the way that God paints a picture of thriving. Think about what that would look like. Take it seriously. And let's let's go on this journey together. Let's pray. God, you are the God of abundance. You are the author of life itself. And who else can we turn to when we want to know how to live abundantly, how to experience true life? Who else do we turn to, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to come to know more fully that you are the risen Savior. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That there's no part of our lives that are too trivial for you to care about. That there's no part of our past that is too sinful for you to forgive. That there's no part of our time or our days that you don't want to redeem and have full of abundant life. And we pray, Lord, today that you would show us what it means to thrive. Light the spark and fan the flame in our hearts, in our minds. Lord, give us a conviction that can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit that we may turn away from all that hinders us and all that pulls us down and embrace the grace and the forgiveness and the true life that is found in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, would you plant these seeds deep in our hearts and the seeds that you have planted over our lives, would you water them and grow them I pray, Lord, that this would be a place where we can thrive and where there is an abundant amount of fruit for the kingdom of God. Lord, help us to realize this and begin to realize this reality that you give us. And we praise you for the words of Jesus, that we may live abundant life in him. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.